Welcome to another episode of the Transfer Portal Podcast presented by No Context College Football. I'm your host, Dylan Rubin King. We have a jam-packed show for you. It's the week one recap podcast. We have so many games to talk about, so many storylines. Uh, it's just been a really fun week to finally get back to some college football. I've got with me Andrew, Brian, and Adam. Adam, this is debut with the podcast. Uh, Adam, let's start with you. How you doing, man? Doing good. Excited to have college football back. I watched it all weekend. Um, it's on the couch, drinking some beers with some friends. Labor Day weekend, so I got Monday off. So the vibes right now are just top notch. Really doesn't get any better than that. Brian is also making his pod debut. He's done an interview with us before, but this is his first time on the pod, uh, fresh off of having a baby not too long ago. Brian, how are we doing? Uh, as, as well as you can, you know, with the newborn for sure. But I'm doing great. I'm excited. I know it's a, uh, it's been a, it's been a, it's been a long time coming for me to get on here. I've been obviously very busy with with the baby, but I'm excited. And there's the best time of year. This college football's back. Uh, as what well, I've watched as much football as I could. Luckily, uh, the baby sleeps a lot, so I can get some good, uh, some good games in for sure. But I'm I'm very excited for for what's to come for sure. The baby is a, a day one UAB football fan uh, trying to you're trying to get him into Georgia. I know. But, you know, that picture, that video that you sent is definitely going to be a, a memory for him being a UAB fan. Andrew, it's good to see you, man. How you doing? Do I really have to answer that question right now? <laughs> I'm in pain right now, man. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I'm happy that college football is back. Uh, if we're going to step away from the two games that I was so sorely disappointed by, it was a very enjoyable weekend. Saw some of the highlights when I got back uh, from the game last uh, Saturday. Uh, I'm good. I'm happy that college football is back. I'm happy that I could gamble again. I'm happy that, uh, you know, we've essentially – you know, my fall is essentially occupied every Saturday now. So I'm ready, man. Let's let's just keep on rolling with it. it we can only go up from here. Well, we definitely have a lot to talk about with Andrew and his teams uh, and some of what he got to experience on Saturday. Um, but, you know, we've got a jam-packed show, like we mentioned. We have a couple really fun storylines to talk about. Uh, the first couple we want to talk about are stemming from last night's game, Notre Dame and Florida State. I'm so happy I was there to watch it um, on my TV. I haven't really gotten to watch uh, too intently a lot of the games because of how busy I've been um, but that one I definitely wanted to make time for to see Mackenzie Milton make his return after more than a thousand days since his last snap with UCF and that horrific injury that he had to be out there you know just on a weird kind of occasion with Jordan Travis losing his helmet and then he comes in and carries him almost to an overtime victory um, that's what, really what I want to start this episode off with just because of how inspiring and how great that story was um, Adam, I want to know if you were watching that game, what kind of went through your mind when Mackenzie Milton stepped on the field and just what it was like to see him almost pull it off? Yeah, I, I was able to watch the game when he first when he uh, had that first drive, he went four for four and let them down. I, I was getting chills because I remember and was it 2018 at UCF when he had that injury and he was on top of the world in a at UCF, and then he got hurt. I didn't think he was going to play football again, i am be honest. And here we are, you know, two years later, three years later almost, and he, I think he should start next week. Um, Jordan Travis didn't look well at all. He had three interceptions. I thought Florida State should have won the game. I think they had a lot of um, coaching errors at the end there and in the third quarter, but I'm, I'm happy for him. 
and I hope he carries it on for the rest of the season. Regardless of, you know, whether you love Florida State or hate Florida State, I think most of us were all rooting for them to pull out that game for Mackenzie Milton because of that, you know, that recovery. And his doctor said there's little to no chance he could walk without pain again, let alone play. So it's absolutely miraculous. Andrew, I know you were watching it. Um, I know you're, you know, a Milton guy. I remember you saying, you know, why isn't he in the game? That kind of thing. What was it like to see him out there and replace, like Adam was talking about, the atrocity that was Jordan Travis? Yeah, Jordan Travis was uh, very disappointing. I mean, when I first heard the news that Jordan Travis was starting, I was kind of like, why? Like, why is he starting? And, I mean, he missed a running back. He overthrew a running back on the flat. I think that was the first red flag. Uh, Mackenzie Milton goes in. He lights it up. Uh, takes the game overtime against a very good Notre Dame team. I don't, I don't give a damn that that Notre Dame won this game at the end. Mackenzie Milton is the winner of the weekend. I don't, I don't, you know. And you know what? Obviously, I love Jack Cohn. I know what he, you know, I obviously know what he's done for Wisconsin over the last couple of years. But Mackenzie Milton was for me the quarterback of the night. Uh, it's honestly just incredible. It's been three years, almost three years, the day where since he had that horrific knee injury against South Florida. Uh, it's really happy. It's really great to see him back. The fact that he's willing to pull through everything. He could have finished up his degree at UCF and just lived a regular life. No, he wanted to finish it out, uh, play football again. He did it. And I do think he has a serious, uh, a really good opportunity to some special Florida State this year. And let's be honest, not a lot of people have a lot of faith in Florida State. But uh, if, if, they, if he can put together the strings for Florida State this year, they could be the feel-good story of the year. This and also in regards to the fact that they're – dedicating this season to Bobby Bowden. Yeah, it was definitely a special night in Tallahassee, you know, with the Bobby Bowden, the the details on the field and the helmets and, uh, you know, everything going on with Mackenzie Milton. Um, early in the game, they kind of had some sparks offensively. Travis made a really nice throw, probably his only really good one of the night. They had a couple, you know, the Jay Sean Corbin 89-yard touchdown. I mean, it looked like there was going to be some big play possibility to the offense, and then it just kind of sputtered. For a while, Notre Dame created some turnovers, like Adam was talking about. Um, and then Mackenzie Milton came in, and there was just a spark. Like everybody kind of rallied around him. You could kind of feel it in the crowd. There was a buzz. And then at the end of the game, it was just, you know, Milton magic. And Brian, what was it like to watch that? Were you able to watch it? And, uh, you know, what, what did you get out of that magical game? Yeah. Uh, part of the reason why I wanted to watch that game was because of Mackenzie Milton. So I was kind of disappointed to see that he did, wasn't starting. And, I know they, the storyline was, was centered around him and his return. Um, and, you know, I'll, I'll be honest, at, at once it got to 38 to 20, uh, I was like, okay, you know, it's probably over. I don't, I don't really, there's no really reason to watch anymore. I kind of took a nap and I woke up. Um, um, actually, my wife woke me up, you know, speaking of the baby, to, to feed the baby. And I, and I looked up and it was, uh, it was 38 to 28. Um, and McKinsey Milton was out there and I'm like, oh, my God. So I was able to watch the rest of that game and just it just gives me it gave me chills. It gives me goosebumps to to see to, to see that comeback. And we've seen it before. We've seen these horrific injuries happening. We saw with Marcus Lattimore at South Carolina and how unfortunately he was never able to get back to the what he was. And he was an amazing athlete and he would, probably would have had a long career in the NFL. Um, but, you know the fact that he was able to do this and he was able to come back and he was able to succeed, not only succeed, you know, in general, I mean, he could have been playing at, uh, you know, a D2 school or an FCS school just to say he could come back, but he's actually playing for, uh, 
you know, a part, I wouldn't say powerhouse at this point, but a blue blood ACC Florida state and be, do well. And it, 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 I really enjoyed it. Um, it was a lot of fun. Uh, and I, I, I can't, you just happen to, you can't help but cheer for these types of, these types of situations. You know, it's, it's such a tragic moment. And we forget that these, these athletes, these college athletes are, they're kids, you know, they're 18, 19, 20 years old. And to have something to have to go through that at that young age, it takes a lot of somebody. And the fact that he was able to do what he did and come back and, and just, you know, it was, it was special and it gave me goosebumps and I was really cheering for them uh, to win. Um, I was being selfishly cheering for Notre Dame because of the pick'em. And I would have been in first place because of the pick'em, but you can't help to not cheer for uh, Mackenzie Milton and Florida State towards the end. And they, they, just, I mean, he did all he could. You know, it's not really his fault that uh, they missed a field goal in overtime. Um, it's not really his his fault that they did that. But um, it was definitely special, and it, it something I'll always forget about this football season. And it gives you that, like, like that feel, like, oh, this is why you love college football. Like these situations is why you love it so much. And it gave me that that satisfaction of this is why I enjoy this sport more than any other form of football um, that's that's available to us now. The fact that he was able to come back from that injury and not only see the field again, but to re, you know revitalize a team in that in the middle of a game like they're down big in that game. It looked like Notre Dame was going to run them out of their own building, and he came in and took him to overtime. Took a top ten team to overtime. This Florida State team. It's kind of been dead in the water the last couple of years with the Willie Taggart era, the Norvell era hasn't really gotten off to a great start. Um, and then he comes in and then there's just a spark and kind of this optimism now that maybe Florida State can, you know, rise to the top again. And, you know, obviously Notre Dame won that game. And another storyline that came from that, um, you know, that victory was Brian Kelly. I'm sure if you've if you're a college football fan and you've been on social media, you've seen it a fair amount. Um, but we want to talk about it just because of how odd and um, just really interesting this storyline is. So if you didn't see it, uh, Brian Kelly basically said after the game, right after the game, um, in terms of a question about execution, I think we knew what he meant and we knew the reference, but he said, I'm in favor of execution. Maybe our entire team needs to be executed after tonight. We just didn't execute very well. Now that's coming off of a 41 to 38 overtime win on the road in a hostile environment um, is making the reference to an old Buccaneers coach who said it when the team went 0 and 14 and 76. Um, I just kind of want to dive into this and see what your guys' reaction was. And, you know, the reaction on social media, um, Andrew, let's go to you. What did you think of when you, when he said that and the reaction that it's gotten on social media? Truthfully, I think it's being taken out of proportion. I mean, I think anybody who's ever played football, anybody who's ever been on a team and anybody who's ever had a, a very fiery coach, honestly, those types of things are kind of expected whenever you play a really bad game. And, you know, of course, you know, you when you, after you win, you should be on a high. But let's just be honest, down the stretch, especially in the second half, Notre Dame was not executing well. They were not playing that well. Um, I just think it's one of those things where it's like you're really splitting hairs. I really don't think it's that big of a deal. I mean, I've been told things on a similar level when I was in high school. Maybe there's just a belief that, you know, when it's college, maybe it's got to be a little different. I just don't know why. I know what he meant. They just need a kick in the ass. They just need to go back to the film room and look at what mistakes they made. Truthfully, for me, that's really all it is. I do think it's a completely taken out of proportion 
situation. I remember two years ago about Tom Izzo for Michigan State basketball. I mean, he was being very fired up towards his squad, and it got pretty viral on social media. And I kind of looked at it like anybody who's ever played football, basketball, or any major sport, that's honestly expected, you know. It's just the way that I personally view it. And it ain't the first time either. I remember how long ago it was. Uh, no, no, it was earlier this week when when Trent Dilfer, you know, he's out there coaching high school football now. And, like, he's being very fired up because one of his players was being disrespectful towards him and he threw a helmet on the ground. I mean, that's what a coach is supposed to do. He's supposed to be fiery. He's supposed to, you know, you know, if you're a strict coach, I mean, and if that's your nature, that that's honestly expected. So I, I honestly don't even think it's really that big of a deal. Yeah, I definitely think one of the biggest things that most people were talking about was the timing of it and how like it's coming, um, you know, right after a game, like everybody's just getting off the high of this game. It's immediately after it ended, you know, it's still prime time. And it's just kind of like, you know, why would he say it then? And, I'm, you know, I definitely think it was overblown too, kind of the reaction to it. Um, but Adam, what's your take on like the timing of it? Um, did you think that was like, you know, maybe he should have kept that in the drafts or like, what did you think there? Yeah, when I first heard it, I was kind of taken back. I was like, okay, that's a bit dramatic, you know. But I kind of – I agree with Andrew that it's definitely being blown out of proportion. We've all heard worse if you play any type of sport or anything. But I do think that this is not something that you can really say on national TV, at least not right now. Um, do I think that that's fair to him? No but that's just the, how the climate is. So I think if you're a head coach of a big time program like Notre Dame, that you should kind of be a little bit more self-aware, I guess, of what you say, because I know that college coaches, they're going to show that video to recruits. I don't necessarily think that it'll hurt, it'll hurt them in recruiting or anything like that, but it's just one of those things you just don't want to have against you, I guess. Yeah, that's definitely a really interesting take on it. Um, I didn't really think of it from that perspective, but, you know, things like that when they talk after games, you know, with, with me, when I watched it, I didn't even take it in that context. Like I was watching it and I just, I thought he was talking about like, you know, just executing the plays of the game. Like it completely went over my head as I was watching it. Um, I must not have been paying too close attention because I think if I would have watched it again or more closely, I probably would have also been taken aback a little bit as well, but uh, Brian, you know, what did you think of this? You know, obviously Brian Kelly was talking about after the game, how he was kidding. It was tongue in cheek. He was making a reference and he was flipping out about, you know, people taking it seriously and that they're crazy for taking it seriously. Like, what did you think of the reaction to it? Yeah. Uh, uh, Mina Kimes from ESPN kind of, she tweeted about it earlier that kind of, it, it, I kind of definitely agree with, she said, uh, this Brian Kelly thing is just peak 2021 stuff. Bunch of people mad about the possibility of other people being mad. Very few people are actually mad. Everything is culture war. It's also boring. Uh, and I agree with that. You know, it's it's kind of like and not everything has to be taken to such a pedestal and be taken so seriously. And I understand it, when it, we live in a landscape that it's very fluid. It's very tender uh, with all the different different issues going on, with it, whether it's a pandemic, whether it's politics, not to go down that rabbit hole, but it's just we're very tense right now. And I think People are just trying to find something to be upset about. And was it the right thing to say? Maybe not. You know, uh, was it something that is a 
deal breaker? Should he be fired? Should he really be canceled for that? I mean, no, he didn't say it's obviously it's obviously he's not going, he's not saying his, his players should be killed. Like that's obviously not what he's saying. Nobody thinks that's what he's saying. Um, I think that's what Mina is mentioning here. Like nobody really thinks that like nobody's really upset about that, but people are upset about the possibility of being upset. And it's just, this is, it's, it's, it's kind of, you know, it's kind of dumb of a, of a, of an, of a storyline to, to be involved in. Uh, but at the same time, you kind of have to watch what you say nowadays. And, and that's just the, just the, the landscape of, of, of where we live and, and, and what, what you see on TV and, and what the way people react to things, you have to be careful to what you say. At the same time, you put a microphone, I, and I'm, I'm, I wholeheartedly believe this 100%, that if you throw a microphone in someone's face after a high, you know, stress, high anxiety, high adrenaline situation, whether it's uh, on either side, losing side, winning side, whatever the case may be, you're not gonna be, you're gonna say things that you probably don't mean. Um, and it happens a lot, you know, when when a team loses or in post game post game interviews, they reporters ask a question, the players or coaches react to it. Um, we saw that Nick Saban interview with Maria Taylor a couple of years ago. Uh, you you kind of have to you just you kind of have to take it with a grain of salt. That's probably not what he meant, and not and just move on. You know, it's it's kind of it's ridiculous that we're that it's a big deal, uh, but you know he is an adult. They're professionals. They should know better. But at the same time, it's really not a big deal and everybody should just move on and pay, listen, pay attention to the real story, which we just talked about, like Mackenzie Milton and, and, a, and a great game on the first Sunday night of college football. And that's that is being taken away by this, you know, non-story. Um, it's just unfortunate, in my opinion. Yeah, that's a really good point. I mean, the thing about um, post-game interviews and conferences and stuff like that, I've always felt the exact same thing. Like from a journalist perspective, I've always felt like, you know, you should watch the questions that you ask as well that could result in, you know, such a question or such a answer like that. Because um, she mentioned specifically execution. And I guess Brian took it upon himself to make that joke at that time, which, you know, the internet took and ran with. Um, but, you know, I think one coach that could definitely watch what they say when a mic's in front of their face is Dabo Swinney. But we can talk about that another time. But speaking of head coaches, um, you know, one of the big news that came out today and that has kind of developed over the week is Randy Edsall, um, who announced earlier that he would step down at the end of the season because UConn, you know, is the dumpster fire that it is. But today it came out that the school and him have decided mutually to um, part ways immediately and that they are going to, they're going to promote Luis Spanos, who's the defensive coordinator to the interim coach. Now um, I know probably not a lot of us follow UConn football too closely, um, but you know, Edsall is their all-time winningest coach back in 99 to 2010. They won 70-plus games, went to a Fiesta Bowl. They did a lot of good things in the Big East. They had seven winning seasons out of 12, I think, that he was their head coach. And since then, they're 6-32, and 32, and they're just at the bottom of college football right now. Brian, what's your reaction to this news that, you know, hey, I'm not, I'm not going to retire at the end of the year. I'm going to do it now. Like, what, as from a player's perspective, how do you take that if you're on the roster and you know, just overall, what's your reaction to this? Uh, yeah, it's 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 a situation where you, you it's kind of a catch twenty two at this point. Um, you know, obviously UConn they're they're not very good and they haven't been very good. This isn't you know his first in at UConn. Obviously, was very very different than what it is now. 
and the writing was on the wall. And, and uh, you know, you can't blame somebody for, you know, admitting to say, hey, you know what, I'm not, this isn't for me. I'm definitely not helping the program and I'm going to walk away from it. Um, now, from a player's perspective, you could, it could be looked at as he's quitting. He's quitting on his players. He's quitting on his team. Um, and I would, I'm not, I wouldn't be opposed to that thought either. If I was probably in that locker room, I would think the same thing too. say, Hey, you know, I can't go, I can't just put my name in the transfer portal and go play somewhere else next week. That, that, that doesn't, we have to stay here all year and we have to play this out. You know, why, why do you get that Liberty to be able to walk away from it now? Um, when we have to, we're stuck here and we have to continue playing. It's just a sense of pride the, 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 as a player as a player and as a coach, it's two different mindsets. Um, and it kind of, it's a little hypocritical with have these conversations about the transfer portal and kids transferring and no, they, they don't want to compete and they, they want it the easy way out. And you can say the same thing about, um, about Etzel at this point, you know, he, he's, he's quitting on his, I, in my opinion, he's quitting on his team. Um, I, I don't blame him. He, it's obviously they're not very good and he's probably not, he may be doing more damage than he is helping the team at this point, maybe bringing in, you know, um, uh, another somebody else in to try to change the culture, try to change the momentum of that program. Uh, but, you know, it's not what have you done for me before? It's what you do for me lately. And at this point, it's not a lot. So I think everybody just washes their hands with this. Uh, let him step down, let him finish out the season and just kind of start to build something new because they can't continue. They couldn't continue this way. Um, you know, like you said, I haven't even thought about you. I've honestly, there's a, there's been times where I forget that UConn has a football team anyway, because they're just so bad. Uh, and you know, you just, for the, for the benefit of both parties, I think this is the best thing to do as a player. It definitely, it's definitely a punch in the, in the mouth and I would, it would definitely rub me the wrong way for sure. Well, out is Ed Zoll, in is Luis Spanos. Luis Spanos has had a really long career in football. Um, he's won a couple of Super Bowls with the Steelers as an assistant linebacker coach, um, went with the Washington now football team as a linebackers coach, um, was a defensive coordinator at UCLA for a couple of years, went with the Titans. Um, he was an analyst with Alabama in 2018 and has been with UConn since 2019. There's really nowhere you would think to go but up for this UConn program. Um, who was terrible in 2019, didn't play in 2020, and that was off to a horrendous start in 2020. So, Andrew, my question to you is, how do you think the incoming, you know, coach, what is the mindset, what is the culture that you have to build at a program that's really at rock bottom? I mean, you can't get negative wins in college football, so literally the only way you can go is up from here. I mean, in terms of, like, having to rebuild it, I don't even know how you can rebuild it, you know, does maybe does UConn? I mean, I remember you and I. We were sitting here a couple of weeks ago, maybe last week after the after UConn lost to you know when they lost forty five nothing, I believe it was. What the scoreline was, and we essentially said like, should they consider going to SCS at this point? I mean, it's honestly should be a serious consideration. Idaho did it. Why can't UConn did it, do it at this point? At this point, it's just a situation where, like, it has to be a complete reset. I don't even know how you can handle recruiting at this point. I mean, if you would you rather go to an FCS school right now or would you rather go to UConn? That's a serious question that needs to be taken into. If you can go to, let's say, like a North Dakota State 
or the current reigning national champions in FCS, Sam Houston State. If you could, if you're good enough to play for that, why wouldn't you play for them instead of you know UConn? You know what I mean? It and if it's about you know maybe draft stock, I mean play one or two years at those schools that I just mentioned, and then see if you can get your name into the transfer portal and maybe play for a bigger D1 school. I mean it's I just do not understand why. I just don't know how you can even rebuild this program. I really do not. Is it logistics? Is it recruiting? Because I'm going to be honest with you, New England, that whole New England area, it is not a recruiting hotbed right now. I don't think you can convince people from Texas, California, Georgia, Florida, California, these recruiting hotspots. How can you convince them to go to Connecticut right now? At this point, they're just going to have to recruit based on their current location. People that are, you know, players that are going to want to stay close to family and still say that they're playing D1 football. And I think that's just essentially the way that you're going to have to do it right now. You may, you know, they're currently an independent. They're no longer in the AAC. You might have to look into joining one of these lesser conferences right now. Look at look into like a Sunbelt, maybe. I mean, Sun Belt, a Yukon and a Sunbelt does not make sense, but maybe a conference USA, just something to at least get your name in there. Just get yourself into a conference right now. Just try and find anything possible right now just to give a recruit a reason to even join your university. Yeah, I definitely think the only reason why anyone would go there, maybe there's two, but I think the only ones, like you said, is just to be able to say that you're a D1 football player and get a chance where there's not a lot of talent. And then at the same time to, you know, the intrigue of potentially turning around a program that's at the bottom and be a part of something like that to bring, you know, a sense of like dignity to a program that hasn't had it for a long time. I think there's some intrigue there. That's why some people go to Kansas. Um, I feel um, Adam, what's kind of your take on this in terms of, you know, Ed's all leaving right now um, and just the, the player's mindset and, you know, what's going on with that program. As a player. And even if I was a parent of a player, I would be entering my name in the transfer portal as soon as possible. I feel like that whole football program just needs a complete rework from the top down. Ed saw leaving, it really doesn't change much for me because the fact that he was six and 30 and they gave him a contract extension last year, like that that tells you all you need to know that they're they're fine with just having a um, D1 football school and we're going to make our money off other sports, basketball, and that's pretty much it. So I think that, like Andrew said, maybe they should look into moving the football team into FCS. There's other schools that do it. I know um, SFA does it too in Texas, and they have a really good basketball school. So I think I don't see it getting better because – the change I think needs to come from the top and I don't see that happening anytime soon. So if I was a player or a parent, I would try and get my kid out of there as soon as possible. I just want to add something real quick. Um, I think one of the highlights that we have maybe seen one of the most overplayed videos that we have seen from this weekend was when Ed Saul was trying, you know, to round up the troops. And let's just be honest, the players were not motivated whatsoever. You probably only saw like two players out of like 11 that even raised their fist, you know, in the huddle. And let's just be honest, if you're, I think the current players right now, I, I think they're probably happy that he's gone, to be honest with you. 
this is probably going to be like the equivalent of your substitute teacher coming in to fill in for your old teacher for the rest of the year. I mean, you feel like you're probably just going to fool around for the rest of the season. I mean, this, I just don't, I just do not think they're going to be serious for the rest of the year or for all we know, maybe loose band can will we'll already looked unmotivated in the first place. And maybe for all we know that video that went viral was one of the reasons why he quit because essentially exposed his authority over the team. That's kind of essentially, yeah, that's kind of like my final take on it. And I, I did want to also um, add to that. Um, it, I, I, like I said earlier, we have to remember that these kids are, are kids. They're, they're, they're college students. Um, and I saw, I was watching college game day yesterday and Kurt Kerbstreit said something he was talking about, I think it, was it Oklahoma or somebody, uh, a, a program who brought in some assistant coaches and that the average age of the coaching staff was a lot younger. And I think that's important because you have these kids who are, you, you want to bring somebody in and you want to have a, a culture where these kids react to it uh, in a positive way. Having an older coach, you know, a legacy coach, uh, uh, for lack of better words, might not always work. And it obviously didn't work. And like what Andrew said with that video and, you know, I think it's time in college football, you kind of see programs who are recycling or just bringing in these old school coaches to come in and coach these programs. And it doesn't work. We saw it with Florida State with with Willie Target, uh, uh, Taggart. Um, we, you know, we've seen it. And these older coaches do just it doesn't work. Uh, and, you know, I think the only the, the only one that it does work is Nick Saban. He's probably the oldest coach. Uh, if, if, I'm, if I'm not mistaken, he's the oldest coach in, in college football. Um, and obviously they win because it's Nick Saban, you know, but I think that that's a direction that I think a lot of programming to go on is maybe trying to go the NFL route like a shot McVay or, um, you know, Matt LaFleur. Uh, go that route with these kids bring somebody in that they can relate to that can that can build their own that they can you know really rally on uh, rally around and, and push these kids to kind of reach that next level and when things are tough they can be able to grind out of that instead of just giving up and and uh, and moving on so uh, that's kind of what I also thought about the whole situation as well. Well, rolling off of the UConn storyline, I can guarantee nobody was watching their game against Holy Cross that they've lost um, at home. But I want to talk about some of the games that we were watching. Um, Adam and Andrew, I know you guys were watching Houston. We don't have to talk about that right away. We'll kind of ease into that a little bit. Um, Brian, I know you said you were watching it from start to finish. Uh, what games were you watching and what kind of stood out from what you saw? Uh, well, obviously, uh, you can definitely see that Georgia was the number one was the story of the night for me. Uh, it was just kind of an anticipation of that. Um, early on, I, I really got, I really gravitated towards Wisconsin and Penn state and that, that grind that, 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 that game went on. Um, it was definitely interesting to see uh, both, both defenses pretty much play well and both quarterbacks struggle a little bit, you know, and uh, that was definitely an interesting game to watch. Um, I did start watching Alabama and Miami and man, it just, I'm, I'm so sick of Alabama, man. I, I'm, like, it doesn't matter who's playing for them. You know, I think one of us could step in there and play a position and we'd, we'd succeed just because the coaching and the scheme is so great. You know, they can bring in anybody in there to play uh, and play at a high level no matter what. You know, you had uh, the, the obviously the debut of Bryce Young was incredible and, and you know, it makes me a little jealous to see that. Uh, but 
I mean, this Alabama is definitely a force to be reckoned with again, uh, and it's be interesting to see what what they're what what they're going to be doing uh, moving forward. And uh, obviously, Clemson, Georgia, you know, that was definitely not the game that I anticipated it uh, it was going to be. I expected a little bit more small offense, a little bit more back and forth, um, and kind of. You know, I try not to deviate too much from that, but I did kind of tune into UTSA and Illinois just from me being from San Antonio. I, I, I've attended UTSA, uh, you know, the, the, the whole the, the way that program is. You can kind of feel it, it here in San Antonio, the way that that program is kind of, you know, uh, Jeff Trailer was the perfect hire to bring in to. He seems to be to buy into the city and buy into the program. And it's definitely showing um, on the field. Uh, so uh you know, I, I kind of started gravitating more towards the UTSA game over the Georgia Clemson game, which was uh, definitely weird because obviously Georgia Clemson was the game of the weekend, was the big, the big time um, matchup. Uh, but seeing UTSA kind of, you know, go in Illinois and Illinois isn't very good. Uh, you know, they're probably not the best Big Ten program by any means, but uh, to see them go into a Big Ten program and beat them. Um, and then at the same time, seeing Georgia grind out that victory against Clemson, it was definitely a, definitely a good night to watch. And, and both teams kind of stood out for me for different reasons. Yeah, it was definitely a very um, impressive signature win, I think, for Kirby Smart. Probably the biggest win that they've had since that Rose Bowl game over Oklahoma. Um, and, but that game, I mean, you said it. I, we kind of started gravitating away from it. You know, it just wasn't – if you're an offensive guy like me, I'm a Pac-12 fan, so I see a lot of offense. You know, I kind of wasn't – too much of a fan of it. I mean, my mom kind of said it best. She said something about how, um, you know, the game was, was pretty boring up to this point, but there was a fight and that was pretty neat. And then that was pretty much it. Um, but that game, you know, if you're a defensive fan, I mean, that was one hell of a defensive battle for both teams. Georgia's defense looked like it could easily be one of the best in the country, if not the best. Um, but Adam, I want to get to you. What were some of the games that you were watching? I know you're watching that Houston game, but what else was on the, on the TV for you? Early on, I was really watching the Penn State-Wisconsin game. I thought that game was very entertaining. The atmosphere was amazing. I felt like every play was just – I couldn't look away. I tried to watch Oklahoma in Tulane, um, but I just – I couldn't look away from the Penn State-Wisconsin game. One game that did stood out was how bad Iowa State looked. I was – there – Ranked pretty high. A lot of people thought that they were going to challenge Oklahoma for the Big 12, but they have a lot of those starters returning. They had, I think, either the most or second most players in the preseason AP All-American, and they did not look good at all. So that was shocking to me. Um, I'll be watching the game next week against Iowa to see if they can bounce back from that. I think they have a good coach in Matt Campbell, so I feel like they will. Big game for me was, of course, Texas. I thought we looked pretty good. I think they played pretty much a perfect game. Um, still don't know who the QB is. I have a feeling it's going to be Hudson Card because he didn't make any mistakes, but who knows with Sark. I did watch the Georgia and Clinton game. Like Brian said, it was just, it wasn't really entertaining at all. So I kept finding myself flipping away to watching. Um, Houston versus Texas Tech, which I'm sure Andrew will agree was a huge disappointment, especially in the second half. But yeah, it was a lot, watched a lot of football. 
Um, UCLA, I liked what they did. I like. I think Chip Kelly is um, figuring it out, and I like. I think UCLA can really compete in the Pac-12 as well. Yeah, we'll definitely get to the UCLA game. That was definitely on a lot of people's radar, and um, you know, in my opinion, I don't think it was an upset. I thought LSU was pretty overrated, but we'll we'll get to that in a little bit. I think what everybody's been waiting for is Andrew's take on the Houston game. He was in the building at NRG Stadium for that uh for that entertaining game if you're a Texas Tech fan, but just a very uh, heart-wrenching game for Houston fans. Andrew, you know, I know you're watching Wisconsin as well, but like Houston, what was what was going on there? Well, I'm going to start by saying that that was the biggest waste of 95 bucks I've ever spent in my life in terms of the $75 for the ticket and the $20 for the parking. I'm I'm probably a little bit more heated than on that than I am for the Wisconsin game, which honestly says a lot. So I'm going to go ahead and just skip to – I'm going to come back to that. I'm going to go back to the Penn State-Wisconsin game because I got a lot to say about that too. Uh, I was kind of laughing on the inside in a horrible way when – Brian was saying how both the quarterbacks were struggling a little bit. No, they did not struggle a little bit. They struggled a lot. And truthfully, I don't know. What I'm, I'm out of excuses for Graham Mertz. I'm just being straight up honest on that. Like, I saw – me and Brian actually saw him play at the All-American Bowl a couple years ago when he was coming out of high school. And he threw, like, five touchdown passes in that game. And he was remarkable. And – I went into and I left that stadium thinking to myself, we got a quarterback now. We finally got a quarterback. We've been waiting ever since Russell Wilson left that we finally got a quarterback. And uh, he saw a little bit of action as a true freshman two seasons ago. We obviously know about last year's COVID season, essentially. The fact that his entire receiving core and Jake Ferguson were injured last season, I was like, okay, I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt. He obviously lit it up against Illinois. He had a decent game against Michigan and then struggle essentially the rest of the way and have played a pretty good game at the Mayo Bowl to close it out. I'll give him the benefit of the doubt. But for this game, I'm out of excuses. I don't have anything. He had a fully healthy receiving core. He had Jake Ferguson, who made an incredible catch. They went one and four in the red zone. One and four in the red zone. He fumbles two handoffs. He he's he's overthrowing receivers. He's got a, he's got two extremely re- talented receivers that have been there that have essentially been a mainstay in the offense since they were freshmen in Kendrick Pryor and Danny Davis. Danny Davis made a great catch, a life-saving tiptoeing catch. And he and Jake Ferguson, who for me is a top four at worst tight end in the country, to him overthrow these guys, I just don't understand it. What part of this offense that he's been part of for three years now does he not understand? when does it and this is a Penn State defense that doesn't exactly return the most amount of defensive starters either this was a very young team like what is it what was Graham struggling with he struggled with absolutely everything zero zero at halftime it's almost inexcusable I will give a huge shout out to Shesma Lucy the Clemson transfer he put up over 100 yards I think he's going to be Wisconsin's running back one for the season. So I'll give it, I'll take that as a positive. But as far as Mertz, man, it's, he's got all these NIL deals. He's got his own clothing brand now. He's done commercials in the Madison area. What are these companies paying him all this money for if he's not putting on a good image for the university? Because as of right now, I saw somebody in the Wisconsin media asking the other day if you named every quarterback for Wisconsin that's played a meaningful snap since Russell Wilson left or since 2010, they win that game against Penn State. And I thought about it, and I was like, you know what? He's very much right. I will take Joel Stave, who was absolutely terrible at his worst. I think him at his worst would have won that game. I think freaking Alex Hornibrook would have won that game. 
I'm positive that Tanner McAvoy could have won that game. And he and I saw him throw like, I don't know, two completed passes against LSU in the first half in, in 2014 in NRG Stadium. Like, I don't – I'm out of his season. I, I don't even know who to go. And also Scott Nelson played a terrible game on safety. He did not give his – he did not give it to – he did not give the cornerbacks any help. That's why Dotson was able to actually light up the Wisconsin defense. He's one of probably the most underrated performance from week one for me. Dotson, fantastic for Penn State. Uh, as far as Wisconsin goes, they're 0-6 in their last six games against top 25 teams. It's just not a good look. It seems like ever since they they blew that lead against Ohio State in the Big Ten Championship game in 2019, it's been nothing but downhill. Um, so after that game was over, I did switch on and off between Alabama and Miami. Once Alabama started breaking the brakes off, I was like, all right, well, we already know how this is going to go. And it went exactly how it went, exactly how a lot of people went. So then I ended up switching to Iowa, Iowa State. And uh, I mean, Iowa, Iowa State, uh, Iowa and Indiana and Iowa City. And uh, Iowa completely manhandled them. They won 34 to 6. They did exactly what they want to do. They played Iowa football, they played ground nose, they controlled the line of scrimmage. They looked really good. And as of right now, in terms of division division leaders after week one, I was the biggest winner for me. I think they got the biggest step ahead of Wisconsin. Now, onto that Texas Tech U of H game. Oh, man. So I did leave around halftime of that Iowa-Indiana game and did go to NRG. Really wasn't a whole lot going on, but got to, got to my seat. And Houston – Clayton Toon was running the ball by himself really well. I was shocked about that. And Houston essentially controlled the entire first quarter. They went for an onside kick after their first touchdown, which shocked me, shocked the whole stadium. And uh, they took they took the 14-0 lead, led at halftime 21-7, and then completely capitulated. 38 to 21 final score and guess what i didn't even see the last i didn't even see the last touchdown i took tag because i already left the stadium by then that's how bad it was and and clean tunes just another guy where i'm just like i just do not think he's that guy anymore i tried defending him also i just do not think he's that guy anymore uh i you know and car he had a couple good runs tune had a couple good runs uh, Dell, I uh, Nathan Nathaniel Dell, he did have a really good game. He had 80 yards. He was probably the best receiver for honestly in that game. Period. Uh, actually, uh, yeah, I think he did have the best game among all of the receivers. Actually, no, hang on, so I didn't even notice this. Eric Azuma Kanma had 179 yards receiving, didn't even notice that, but it was just embarrassing on U of H's part. I just thought it was every UH fan that I spoke to afterwards, they were essentially down. They didn't have any positivity. They had nothing nice to say about Dana after the game. They had nothing nice to say about Clayton after the game. It was embarrassing about defense in the second half. They allowed 17 in the third quarter. They allowed 14 in the fourth quarter. Nobody really had anything nice to say. And once again, the mood in Houston right now is down. And that's kind of the best way that I could put it very nicely. I, I think a lot of people went into this season thinking that they were going to be a good team. And as of right now, it's not a good start. And in all honesty, I'm not even going to be look, overlooking Rice next weekend. I'm truthfully not going to be overlooking Rice because guess what? At least Rice kept it competitive against Arkansas in the first half. So that'll be another game I'm going to. We'll see how that goes. Uh, yeah, Houston, Wisconsin, you are not on my nice list for, the, for week one. 
and neither are their quarterbacks. Somebody, somebody needs to get Andrew some help with his quarterbacks. At least you have Aaron Rodgers to look forward to on Sundays. I guess that's one positive. But yeah, going back to that Penn State Wisconsin game, I mean, I, the one nugget that really shocked me was that Penn State ended Wisconsin's 25 game home opener win streak. I thought that was crazy. Um, and Wisconsin had the ball, correct me if I'm wrong. I think they had the ball for over 40 minutes in that game. Um, and, you know, and Malusi had a really good game. I want to ask you this question though. What was the status of Jalen Berger? I don't think he had a single carry. What happened there? Uh, apparently I think there was like a disagreement between him and the coaches. I think it's more of an inside deal that not even Wisconsin media knows about right now. Uh, from my understanding, the terms are better now. And uh, I will expect him to get the carries against Eastern Michigan this weekend. Uh, that's kind of essentially it right now. I don't really think there's much more to be looked into. The fact that uh, Isaac Guerrero, which he actually did have himself a pretty good game for the touches that he got, especially in the second half. Uh, the fact that he got all the touches that were not Ches Malusi's did shock me. So uh, we'll see. I mean, I think I think Jalen's going to be okay. Um, I just think right now they, I just think that they view Ches in a better light right now. I think Wisconsin still, they still want to open up a passing game. And I think Chez is that guy in terms of, you know, running back flats and maybe some screens. I think Chez is the better guy for that. I think he has a better opportunity to break through the linebackers. That's just what I view from what I saw and from what I saw from his clips at Clemson. Uh, I just think right now Chez just does fit what they want to do better. But does that mean that Jalen Berger is going to be out? No. In fact, I think once you start going into like the five-yard line and inside right on the goal line, I would fully expect to see Jalen Berger uh, behind Graham, uh, you know, uh, on goal line sets. Yeah, that was definitely an interesting game. Um, you know, the scoreless halftime was just kind of shocking to me. Um, I thought Penn State's offense sh- – well, I mean, Wisconsin's defense looked really good. I think that's the one positive takeaway that you can – kind of have you know Dotson did do his you know damage but you know he was really the only one Noah Kane didn't really have a whole lot of carries Sean Clifford looked you know inconsistent as he did all of last year as well um but I do think it's an impressive win for Penn State and hopefully you know for Andrew's sake uh Wisconsin can bounce back um for the couple of games that I was watching uh throughout the weekend I was watching a lot of group of five and a lot of FCS teams um, just because with Alabama, I didn't, I'm not going to lie. I didn't watch a second of that game because I knew exactly how that was going to go. Uh, I'm actually surprised it was closer. Like it wasn't more of like a 40 point game. I think they won by 31. It was like 44, 13. Um, I'm just surprised that game wasn't even more, you know, of a blowout, but one game that caught my attention late was Eastern Washington and UNLV. I think that was Thursday night. Um, cause I had to tune in to watch Eric barrier. I mean, that guy is a phenomenal quarterback. I think he's, you know, I'm going to go on with Liam. I think he's the best player in the FCS. I've watched highlights, but I'd never really watched him in a game. And that man is legit. He is an unbelievable player. And I picked Eastern Washington to win that if we were going to do, you know, a pick him for that. And he's just, I, I can't wait to watch him. And I, I really hope that he transfers to a power five school, uh, and gets the opportunity to kind of make his name known nationally. I feel like most people should know his name by now if you're a college football fan, but man, that guy's electric. Um, the other game, I was very surprised. Andrew and Liam, you guys were talking about this game, but the one I found myself actually gravitating towards was Michigan State and Northwestern. I was very, very surprised that Michigan State was having as good of offense as they were. The quarterback looked pretty good, but Kenneth Walker was the story of that game. 264 yards and four touchdowns. I mean, that guy was honestly probably one of the best offensive players of the entire week across the country. I mean, 
that guy could not be stopped. And Northwestern's defense on paper looked really solid, like they were going to have another good year, but they just got torn apart. Um, so that game was one. And then the one game I've been wanting to talk about quite a bit is Washington um, losing to Montana. That one was, for me as a Ducks fan, a Ducks student, I write for Ducks Digest, just grew up growing up in Washington and being harassed by Washington fans. That game just tickled me silly. That was, <laughs> that was so much fun to watch. Um, them putting up seven points. They had an opening drive touchdown. And then for the rest of the game, just completely crapping the bed. It was one of the worst performances I've seen from a Pac-12 powerhouse, if you want to call them that. Um, and that I have an article up on the transfer portal, not to shamelessly plug that, but just on my take of the state of Washington, I think it's it's going downhill and it's going downhill really fast, especially with recruiting. Um, but I want to open this up. We've talked a lot about a bunch of different teams, some overrated, some underrated. I want to open it up first to Adam. Who are some teams that coming into the season you had higher hopes for? You talked about Iowa State, um, but maybe some that are a little bit overrated. Maybe it's a little early to say that, but who were you kind of let down by um, this weekend? This weekend I was I was let down by Iowa State for sure, but I already talked about them. I was also let down by Oklahoma. Um, I think Spencer Rattler, I think he'll be fine. From what I saw, he's, he's going to have good numbers and, you know, the Lincoln Riley offense and everything. But the Oklahoma defense, for, for some reason, they can never figure it out on the defensive side of the ball. They force a lot of turnovers, but if they're not turning the ball over, the other team's going to score. That's pretty much what it seems like. And it's been like that for years now. I think they have a good defensive coordinator and Alex Grinch. So I don't know exactly what the problem is. I know this year, a lot of people were, they were ranked with number two in the preseason. And a lot of people were picking them to, you know, play Alabama or Ohio state. And I, I don't see that with their defense at all. I think they can figure it out, but as of right now, from what I saw, I think Spencer Rattler is going to have to play perfect. And he's shown that he, just he doesn't do that very often right now they have um three more home games so the pressure's not really on them yet but after from what i saw i was very let down by oklahoma brian how about you what did you uh what did you take there are a lot of teams that you know lost that were ranked some that completely crapped the bed like montana uh, you know washington losing to montana but you know who did you who did you kind of want to see more from and were let down by? Uh, I mean, there's a couple of answers to that question. A little bit more of a obvious answer will be Miami. Um, it just seems that Miami gets ranked really high every year almost. And it just seems that every year they get put up against any other ranked team and they just completely turn over and, 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 and swaddle up like a little baby. I don't, I just don't understand. I mean, you know, they've had so many opportunities uh, with, you know, when they hired Mark Rick, they had a chance there and they, they, they had that, you know, they had a, that amazing win against Notre Dame that a couple years ago and completely demolished Notre Dame. Um, you kind of saw like, okay, you know, this team is legit. And then they went on to lose. I forgot who they lost to the last game of the year, right before the, right before um, the SC championship game, they lost to, uh, oh, man, I can't remember the team they lost to, but they, they, they got upset and it just sucks the wind out of their sails. And it just seems that every year they, they have that loss, um, you know, where they just obviously they play number one, Alabama. Uh, so you got to take that with a grain of salt as well. 
Um, I really didn't think Alabama would be that good. And it just kind of, it just kind of asked the question was Alabama that good or was um, Miami that bad? And the trend line of the last few years, I just think Miami just doesn't show up to big games very often. You know, they have their one signature win every, you know, once a year, maybe. Uh, but other than that, they really don't, they really don't do well against top ranked teams. Um, another one is, uh, you know, I kind of want to talk about Clemson a little bit. I know it's Clemson and it's, it's, kinda, it's, it's an easy answer, but I think that this isn't, this isn't Trevor Lawrence Clemson. Uh, and, and it's, I think if there's, we have to kind of have that conversation where it's okay for them to have an off year. I'm not saying they're going to have an off year. Obviously they played, you know, Georgia and they was a close, closer game. Um, but seeing that offense play, uh, you know, uh, DJ, I don't even want to try to pronounce the last name, uh, but he just didn't look that comfortable. Uh, obviously, Georgia had a lot to do with it, but DJ did not look very comfortable out in the pocket. He didn't look like he – I think he's gonna, it's going to be a work in progress. He's going to have to work uh, a little bit harder than, than what people anticipate him to be. They, they kind of anticipate him to come in and just pick up where Trevor, where Trevor Lawrence left off, kind of a Bryce, uh, like, like a Bryce Young is doing in Alabama, and, and, full, and just go – Go full sailing ahead. I, I've seen so many rankings, uh, even a couple of you know, a couple of people in, in our rankings uh, for the transfer portal rank DJ um, top five, and I'll, I've seen so many people put them in the Heisman conversation. And let's just, this is his first full year starting, and even last year in the two games he played last year weren't very impressive. They hit the loss to Notre Dame. You know, they had they he had to have that comeback against uh, against Boston College, uh, where they almost got upset to them. So, you know, let's. I'm interested to see what what I'm a little. I think they're a little underwhelming to me. I thought that they would definitely go out and, and be a lot, play a lot better than they did. Um, obviously, Georgia had a lot to do with that, and I, I'm, I'm kind of curious in that same sense to see what Georgia's really about after that matchup. But yeah, those, those kind of the, the two teams that I, um, I feel like are a little bit overrated. And kind of talking to Oklahoma, like Adam mentioned, it seems that every year, regardless of how good they are, they have that they they just come so uninspired against these lower ranked teams or FCS teams or just you know, and they more often than not, they do get beat. And I fully expected them to, to get beat uh, on Saturday against Tulane. And, you know, we, we've seen it. We saw it with 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 uh, Kyler Murray. They, they lost to uh, Kansas State a couple years ago. Um, you know, I think they, they, then they lost to them last year as well. They, they on that late field goal. So they always come out on, against, you know, lower ranked teams or, or, or not very good teams uninspired. And I think that has a little bit to do with Lincoln Riley. I think he needs to kind of you know, treat every game like it's, you know, the 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 uh, a Big 12 championship game. And and I feel like he may be having a hard time getting his players motivated for these types of matchups. Uh, so I'm a little, you know, I was kind of disappointed in seeing that, especially with Spencer Rattler being a Heisman frontrunner, Heisman candidate, a potential first overall, first overall pick in the draft. Um, you can't lose, you can't win by five points at Tulane. I'm sorry. And a, a displaced Tulane at that who just went through one of the, you know, an, a, one of the worst of uh, tropical storms in, in we've seen in, in a long time. And um, you can't, you know, you can't do that. I, I'm, I'm sorry. You just can't come out there and perform the way they did and, and let them be that close, uh, especially in the game. So uh, that's kind of what, what I took away from my underwhelming uh, performances. Well, I think Tulane deserves a lot of credit. Um, you know, we talked, yeah. I think the, the headline is definitely Oklahoma and, um, you know, they still scored 40, but gave up 35. I think Tulane played a phenomenal game against one of, on paper, the best teams in the country. 
given everything that they've gone through. I mean, that was super impressive. And I think a lot of people are going to take notice of, of what kind of team they are and can be. Um, one of the teams that I thought was overrated coming into the week and now especially think is overrated is LSU. Um, I think aside from Keishon Boutte and Derek Stingley and Eli Ricks, like everything else to me just seems it's not what it's made out to be. Like they're not a top program. This is not anywhere close to the national championship team from two years ago. I just think Ed Orgeron does not have this team in a place to get back to that level really anytime soon. Um, I don't think Max Johnson, aside from throwing to Boutte, I don't think he was that effective. I think he threw for over 300 yards, but Boutte was a big part of that. Um, UCLA looked really good on both sides of the ball. I, I like the pressure that they put on Max Johnson. Uh, Zach Charbonnet picked right up where he left off. I think he's averaging like 13, 14 yards a touch so far this season. Uh, he's been phenomenal. DTR still did not have a great game. Um, I think he only threw 16 times, but completed nine passes for 260 and a touchdown or two. Um, so the fact that they're winning the games that they're winning, that they weren't able to win with Chip Kelly before, and that he's still not playing at the level that he should is still really impressive. But, you know, they're going to have to pick it up. And Fresno State is not a team that they should sleep on. I think, you know, you saw it with Oregon. You shouldn't sleep on Fresno State. That's one of the best teams in the Mountain West. So I think that DTR definitely needs to play better um, against Fresno State next week. And then Indiana, we talked about that one already. Um, Indiana was, I think, a victim of the COVID year. Or not a victim, but they're kind of a beneficiary of the COVID year. I think they, with a bigger schedule, I think they probably would not have had as good a year playing against more of the Big Ten. Um, and they were definitely a victim of that Iowa defense. De Iowa's defense looked even better, I think, than it did last year. And Michael Penix looked really bad. I think he just looked really rusty and just not sharp whatsoever. Um, I really hope that he can turn it around because obviously the injury was was tough for him. And, um, you know, the future is really bright if he is healthy. But, you know, he just looked terrible. Um, and another one that, you know, I'll, I'll take I'll take responsibility for is West Virginia. Um, I had West Virginia kind of being as a potential New Year's six bowl team uh, and they lost to Maryland right out the gate offensively. I think they turned the ball over a bunch, had penalties, just didn't look efficient. The defense uh, kind of got torn apart by Maryland and Maryland is not held in high regard as a team that's going to score a lot of points. But Tagovailoa, you know, his his uh, receiving core looked really good in that game. Um, I think Maryland could be a sleeper. Maybe that's an overreaction. Um, maybe they could get back to bowl status, but West Virginia. Yeah. I, I'm sorry to the fans that I uh, built up some hype for your team and called you a New Year's six team. Cause I guess that's just not going to happen now, but let's talk about underrated teams. Tulane is definitely one. Um, Andrew, who are some teams that you maybe kind of slept on a little bit? Is it Texas tech? Is that one to start? You really want to be on my bad list for Christmas this year or what the hell's the deal here, man? I mean, uh, so I want I want to on record that you skipped me whenever you were talking about the underwhelming team. So appreciate that. My bad. I, I I would have said LSU anyways, and it would have been for the same reasons that you literally just said it was literally just carbon copy from my mind. Uh, I you know I don't really in terms of like underwhelming teams. I, this just feels like kind of harsh, but like first half Ohio State against Minnesota, Stroud did not look good. He almost looked like Graham Mertz out there. Uh, yes, I mean that the worst way possible. Um, okay, that okay. Now that sounds very disrespectful, but uh, it, it was just incredible to see like he had two of the best wide receivers, and it took until halftime for him to finally realize like how to utilize utilize them correctly. 
uh, I don't think there was really anybody out there that I really said like, oh my gosh, I have such a high hopes for this team, but they were just really, uh, wait, are you, you're talking about teams that I thought were bad going it that were going to be good. Correct. Okay. There you go. That makes sense. Uh, really? I mean, I would, like I said, I would dominating Indiana the way that they did. That did shock me. I thought it was going to be a lot scoring, a lot less scoring game. I thought it was going to be like a 24 to 17. I mean, to that kind of thing. But the way that they were able to dominate, I think Iowa uh, right now is essentially my favorite to come out of that Big Ten West to face Ohio State. Uh, I actually had a lot of hopes for this team, and they proved me wrong. Uh, they proved me right. I'm sorry. Uh, Brian already talked about him. UTSA. I think UTSA – they got a phenomenal squad this year. And it's not just Sincere McCormick. Uh, Frank Harris, he put the ball on the dot. A left-handed quarterback wearing the number zero is just honestly just awesome to see. And Jeff Trailer, I really do think he was the guy when UTSA first hired him. I was like, uh, he's got a bit of an unknown background, so we'll see. He's got him on a good spot. And uh, for those that watched my gambling stream with Liam, I did pick UTSA Moneyline to beat Illinois which was correct. I think that Illinois win against Nebraska was so it was the first game of the year. So just the fact that it was the first game, I just think it just got that little extra media attention, a little bit more of an overreaction. I do not think Illinois is that good. I think UTSA, the fact that they're, they're a program that have only been around for like 10 years now. And for them to get this win is honestly really impressive. Uh, I think UTSA, I think they're going to win the Conference USA this year, and this is just a really good start for them to, to go the season. So UTSA is my underrated team of the week. Brian, who is yours? I know you're a UTSA guy too, but are you going anywhere different? Um, I, I wasn't. I was going to stick with UTSA as well. I think that they have an amazing program. And like I said, Jeff Trailer has been, uh, you know, really – really really done a, an amazing job with that program and he said it that the the number one thing about it is that the talent level in san antonio is so underrated that he can basically cherry pick as much as he wants because you know you don't really see a lot of san antonio guys going up to ut or going to texas a&m or anywhere else in the country and really succeeding um you know we had a uh georgia actually had a a four-star receiver from from uh, san antonio join us a couple years ago and he never he literally never saw the field he entered the transfer portal and i think as of today he's still unsigned um so it's just it's really unfortunate but back to the back to the point yeah utsa looked great and i really enjoyed it and i and i think that they're going to be an amazing team um uh you know moving forward and i hope that that could build momentum and and kind of turn into kind of a tcu type type program where you know they they were just constantly good and worked their way up and and found themselves into a, a top five, uh, a power five conference. And, you know, they've, they've had some success over the last few years. Um, I know being under the UT pro under the UT banner and being a, a kind of a, a sister school to UT might kind of hinder them a little bit, because I don't think that uh, university of Texas at Austin is going to be very happy with, with UTSA put possibly, you know, kind of uh, taking recruiting away from them. So I, I'm sure that'll be a little bit harder to do. Uh, but I'm excited for them. Another team too is we're literally watching it right now is Ole Miss. You know, they, they're, they're, I mean, uh, Matt Corral looks any as good as advertised that he's, 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 he's probably one of the top five quarterbacks in the country. Um, you know, they, they're putting a beating on, on, uh, Louisville at the moment and, um, they're going to be a fun team to watch. I'm very interested to see what, you know, what, what, what they're going to do moving forward against a lot better teams. You know, they still have to play LSU. Uh, we saw what LSU did. So, 
Uh, they still have to play um, Auburn, uh, Alabama. So we'll kind of see what they do against those types of programs. Uh, but I'm really liking what I'm seeing so far. And, and lastly, uh, Virginia Tech. Uh, I don't know. I kind of I meant to mention this about the um, underwhelming teams. It's North Carolina. Uh, they seem to they can't get out of their own way. Uh, they always have a what that type of game where they they lose and and you know they they kind of can't get over the hump of being one of those top programs in the ACC. But a lot of credit goes to Virginia Tech, man. They you know the the atmosphere, the the Enter Sandman, and the way they came out with a lot of energy, and and it was it was really fun to watch. And um, you know I, it's it's been a little bit since Virginia Tech kind of kind of you know was a, a a good a good football team or a great football team and and a lot of fun to watch. And it was a lot of fun to watch to see Virginia Tech go out there and and beat probably probably the best quarterback in the in the nation and and a team like North Carolina, a top ten team like North Carolina and. Um, yeah, that was, that was fun to watch. So I'm kind of interested to see whether it was a fluke or was it, you know, just being that their first game of the year and, and having that adrenaline, having the fans back and, uh, we'll, we'll have to see what, 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 what happens there. But, um, I was really impressed with, with Virginia Tech for sure. Andre, where saying enter the Sandman repeatedly during that game just bothered me senselessly. <laughs> like, I just, I, I hated that. And he said he was a Metallica fan. I won't get into that. But anyway, um, yeah, Virginia Tech was one I, I picked as well. Um, I thought they were um, very sound defensively where they really hadn't been for a while. Um, offense looked, you know, OK. I mean, Braxton Burmeister is not a guy who, you know, is probably going to chuck it down the field too much. He had some nice throws, but um, I'm not super um, I don't value his ability to be like the main guy, a, you know, a program changing guy. Um, but overall, I really like Virginia Tech as well. Adam, who was your, uh, you know, your team that kind of surprised you a little bit? I was surprised by I was going to pick Virginia Tech. I thought that coming in, I still think that Sam Howell is if one of the best quarterbacks in uh, the country. I don't think he has much help around him, especially on his offensive line. Um, Virginia Tech was pretty much getting pressure with a three-man rush most of the game. So I thought that was really impressive from them. I, lo- I do love UTSA. I think UTSA is um, the official, unofficial school of the transfer portal. So <laughs> I like what they do. One school that they're ranked high, but I don't hear many people talking about is Cincinnati. I think that Cincinnati has potential to – run the table. Um, their schedule is not very hard. They play Indiana, I think, in two weeks, and we saw how they looked against Iowa. It's a big game in October against Notre Dame, but I wouldn't be shocked if Cincinnati beats them and they go undefeated. Um, I watched them. Desmond Ritter, I thought he looked – I thought he played a perfect game. So I think Cincinnati is someone that uh, – Shall keep an eye on. Yeah. Speaking of Notre Dame, I kind of talked about Notre Dame as being one of my under overrated teams. I really had no um, faith in them, but I must say, like, I think their star power kind of pushes them. I think Jack Cohen played like a star last night. I think Kyron Williams, you know, we all know who Kyron Williams is. One of the best running backs in the country. Kyle Hamilton is probably the best safety in the country. Um, they didn't have a whole lot of returners on offense, I believe, coming into this season. And I think they've really played well now in the second half with the Mackenzie Milton comeback. And, you know, they kind of blew that big lead. That's kind of a concern. But I do think Notre Dame is 
better than I thought. Um, and that Cincinnati game is going to be a lot of fun to watch. Desmond Ritter, like you said, he played phenomenally. Yeah, it was against Miami, Ohio, but yeah, he's definitely one of the best quarterbacks in the country right now. Um, and one of the other teams, they didn't win, but I thought they took a big step forward. It was Arizona. Um, I expected them to get absolutely murdered by BYU. Uh, BYU is, you know, they lost a lot of guys, including Zach Wilson. Um, I They stayed in the game up until the very end. And Arizona does not have a whole lot of talent. First year head coach has lost, I think, now 13 or 14 straight games. But, I mean, they were in it and they were competitive and they were fired up and you know, they have some talent now. Gunnar Cruz looked like he could be the guy for Arizona. So I'm pretty impressed by the way they performed. I don't expect them to have that great of a season. I think they'll probably still finish in the bottom of the Pac-12 South. Um, but I think they took a big stride. And I think this could be a year where, you know, maybe they, they kind of take that step forward a little bit. Um, but, you know, I want to kind of skip ahead to a, a subject that some of us are very passionate about. Um, and that we've kind of seen today during this Louisville Ole Miss game. If you're listening to this, we're recording this um, during the Ole Miss game. Uh, targeting is kind of a big subject, hot subject right now in college football. Uh, there are, I think, three or four different calls and reviews in the first half for targeting. Five in the first half? Wow. Okay. Yeah. Dis- didn't miss the – I missed the last two, I think. I saw three. It's like every time I came back from, you know, looking at – uh, doing research or going to the bathroom or something, they were reviewing it. And I was just like, why is this happening? Um, but I, I want to talk to you, Andrew and Brian first, because I know you guys were watching it um, and you were complaining about it specifically. Uh, I want to start with you, Brian, you know, what's, what's your take on some of those calls? What do you think like the state of the rule is? Cause obviously, you know, it's trying to forbid people from making, I believe they call it forcible contact with the crown of the helmet and to the neck area. Like what's your, what's your take on where that rule is right now? Yeah, uh, and Kurt Herbstreit said it best that you can't blame the referee because they're just enforcing the rule. But the rule itself is just the 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 name of the rule itself is targeting. You're targeting. You're maliciously targeting the crown of your the head of a of a defensive player. Um, and I think a lot of these calls are not fitting that criteria. Uh, they're football plays. They're going for the they're going for the for for the running uh, for the runner. Uh, and it's it's really it, it just it's. It's slowing down the game. It's making the game less fun to watch. Um, I understand the point of the rule. Every time there's a rule implemented in any sport, there's a reason for that. And yes, there's a lot of in, there's a lot of head injuries. There's a lot of hard hits that probably are unnecessary in, in, in football. And they they brought this rule in to kind of prevent that. But it's getting to a point where it's no longer preventing malicious intent, malicious injuries, malicious uh, violence. Uh, at this point, it's just a defender making a good play on the ball. He happens to hit the crown of the helmet. He happens to hit helmet to helmet contact, and all now his game's over. Uh, and there's a 15 yard penalty because of that. And I think there has to be a way to, you know, it's kind of like the fig- the flagrant foul and and the NBA. There's obviously a difference between, uh, you know, um, maliciously and intently going after somebody um, to to throw them down to when they're going up for a dunk or a layup. You, you you throw them down on purpose. You're not really going for the ball at that point. You're just trying to stop them you're trying to hit you hit them in the head you just bring them down and that's a flagrant foul uh and they're able to go in there and review the difference between a flagrant foul and a common foul um and more often than not like no okay he was going for the ball and he just happens to hit him in the head 
and I think that's the college football should be the same way. They review these plays, they review these targeting calls, and they still come out and say it's targeting because by the definition, the way the rule is written is if you get helmet to helmet contact, if you drop, if you lower your head and you hit contact to the head, that's targeting. And I don't think it should be that black and white. It should be that if there's a malicious intent, and I know you can't really determine malicious intent, but you can tell if someone is coming running at you. Um, and you lower yourself and you try to tackle them and you happen to hit them in the head, and all of a sudden you're out of the game because you, you're considered targeting, that doesn't make the game better. That doesn't make that doesn't make anybody safer. Now you're just you're just you're slowing down the game, you're making it less um entertaining, you know, even in the span of maybe 10 minutes, uh getting ready for this, getting ready for this podcast. I was watching the game and literally within the span of 10, 15 minutes, there was three targeting calls. Um, and you can tell, you know, the the uh the uh, curb hurt streak is, 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 is frustrated. The announced everybody's frustrated by this and it's, it's unfortunate and it needs to stop. And, you know, it shouldn't be so hard with replay. No sport should be very, should be hard with replay. Um, and you can tell it just, there's a way to, to enforce the rule a certain way uh, without, you know, just penalizing everybody for having helmet to helmet contact. It's football. That's what happens. Um, and it's just unfortunate. And, you know, not to not not I could talk like I could talk about this for for hours, but to cut it short, it's just we get to a point where, you know, the referees uh, and officiating should not be the talk of the game, should not be the talk of the of the matchup, uh, should not be the talk of the sport. When you get to a point where a, a controversial call or or a controversial rule is the topic of conversation in your sport, there's something wrong with it, um, and it needs to be fixed, and it needs to be fixed soon. Because I, it's doing a lot more harm than it is good for the sport. I understand safety is a, it's the priority. Safety is 100%. You know, the, the, uh, we all want safety. We all want these players to be safe. But at some point, you, you, can't, babe, you can't just, you know, you, you just can't be that, um, you can't be that safe in the, in, the, in the sport of football. I think these players understand that. The coaches understand that. It's a dangerous sport. It comes with the territory. You want to protect them as much as you can, but you can only do so much. You might as well just take off the helmets, put put um, put flags on these players, and play them, and have them play uh, flag football because it's just at this point it's it, it's it's a little ridiculous and it needs to it needs to stop. And you know that's that's pretty much what I have to say about that. Um, it needs to stop, and th- some serious discussions need to be made in the off season uh, uh, to fix it for sure. And one of the one of the things that you said that was really interesting was about the ejections. And I think that's what a lot of people have been talking about is that players should not their game shouldn't end because of a targeting call. It really should be at the most like a 15 yard penalty, um, which is included in that. I just don't think a player. It's hard to say because like you talked about the malicious intent, like if it's really a malicious thing, like does that warrant, um, you know, an ejection? In most cases, it's really not. It's kind of like at a. Um, it's not intentional. It's kind of just an incidental thing. Like one of them, we saw Louisville, their running back was putting his head down, leading with his head. And they happened to hit, you know, head helmet to helmet and they ejected. I think they reviewed it at least. I don't remember if they ejected the Ole Miss player for that one. Um, but I know they reviewed that one for targeting. Um, and Andrew, I know this is something that you're passionate about as well. I want to let you get into that. So what's your take on this whole situation with targeting? It's freaking stupid. 
I mean, that's honestly about as blunt and as about as nice as I could put it. I mean, I'm not, I mean, I'm probably going to put this episode as explicit when I use, but at Warner don't matter. You're always taught, you were taught since the beginning that whenever you go in for a tackle, you're supposed to keep the head down with the face up, but that's not even good enough anymore. At this point, football is such a fast game. It's such a split second. So many split second decisions have to be made from all positions that you almost cannot control those decisions in that moment. It's just such a hard one. And, you know, I'm glad that you mentioned it. None of the talk is, well, what if the ball carrier happens to lower his head at the same time? Or in some cases, from what I saw, even before the defender lowered his helmet. That's the freaking ridiculous part. And honestly, something that needs to be mentioned, like we can go on about this Ole Miss Louisville game. This is going to be on SportsCenter first thing in the morning, talking about all these targeting calls. I want to talk about this missed targeting call that was actually reviewed, but was much worse than anything that was out there today, which is what makes me mad. So I believe the name is Lafem Ransom. He's number 12 for Ohio State. Uh, he ended up hitting Mike Brown Stevens, a wide receiver for Minnesota. And honestly, there were, I remember a player got ejected early in that game for a really bad one, but Ransom literally, I think it's funny how his last name is Ransom. And he literally hits, I'm watching the video right now. He is hitting the Minnesota receiver neck area by the ear with his own helmet. He's literally leaning in with the helmet. I'm not talking in shoulder or putting your arm while crossing. No, I'm talking about he's literally leading with the helmet going into his helmet and they did not this was an ejectable call this is a call where i would say okay you can eject for this certain situation but they did but they they did not call it targeting they said that it was not targeting and he essentially got to stay in which when i saw that that made me mad because that was all the hypocrisy of everything that's been talked about over these last year i feel like we've been having this conversation for years now in regards to everything uh, I just do not understand what you want these defenders to do anymore. I mean, there was one targeting call where Mark, when Matt Golden Corral, badass nickname, by the way, whenever he went, when he, whenever he ran up the middle and he went up to slide, which in, the, which in itself is already dangerous enough for quarterbacks. And two Louisville defenders did go in with their helmets and it made contact with him. Yes, I am okay with that. Okay. Maybe not necessarily the ejection part, but as far as like the 15 yard penalty, Yes, very much so. I'm very okay with that. But I remember a couple of minutes before the half ended, there was a kickoff return, and the and one of the receiving blockers, he did go in helmet first, but it was not in a targeting way, and he had to block one of the one of the kicking team's uh, tacklers, and he got ejected for it. And I was like, "You got to be freaking kidding me!" Like, I don't even understand what you're supposed to be doing as a defender anymore. If you're being brought up on Pop Warner middle school or high school, if you are a so-called athlete to where you can play multiple positions, why would you even stick as a defender anymore at this point? Why would you even stick as a defensive player? Go out there, get your receiver. Guess what? You get the money. You're probably more protected than any other position, maybe besides quarterback in this game. It's just so stupid to me anymore. I don't understand what you want the defender to do. I, It's not a matter of not only is the targeting call stupid, I just don't even know what you're supposed to do. I legitimately feel bad for these defenders. I mean, the only thing that I can think about is what are you supposed to do? Just grab inside the shoulder pads at this point? Going across the body, that's going to result in targeting this time. And it doesn't even have to be towards the helmet. I've seen it when it gets called on shoulders or on the, or on the numbers of the jersey. 
I, I just, I just do not understand what we're even supposed to do. And Brian said, have a conversation on this on the offseason. I already tweeted about this earlier during the game. Have a conversation on it this week. Do it tomorrow, all right? Because I'm pissed off about this. Yeah, and I think there's a, an interesting point, um, you know, that you, there's the way that the football is taught, you know, since we're kids, uh, you know, you're taught to tackle a certain way and and kind of kind of um, Andrew brought it up. Like, what else, what else are they expected to do? Like, do you want them to grab them by the by the, by the shoulder pads? And even that's a penalty. You know, you can't a horse collar tackle or, or something like that. You know what? Only if it's what from it, behind, but like I'm talking like from like the front of it. Yeah, no, I understand what you mean. No, no, I, I, I get it. Uh, so like what else are like what else are you? Are they are they supposed to do? You can't teach a 19 year old kid who's been learning to play football his entire life how to tackle a different way and it just be naturally to, natural to him. I think you might even cause more injuries by teaching people to tackle unnaturally or try a different way that they're not used to being able to do uh, to tackle somebody. Uh, and then they end up getting hurt because it's unnatural to them. They don't know. They don't really come. They're not comfortable with that tackling form. Um, and for sake, they might hurt something else. They might tweak their, their knee or their shoulder or, or whatever the case may be. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I, I agree with Andrew. It, you, you should have the conversation as soon as the the uh, the triple zeros hit on this on this game. Uh, you know, the 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 NCAA needs to have a conversation with 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 the conferences and come up with a way um, to fix this rule. Um, you know, and it, and the last thing I want to see is um, an all American linebacker. Uh, you know, be ejected from you know the college football playoffs because he tackled somebody a certain way. And we've seen it happen. Um, we saw it uh, in Clemson. I forgot who it was uh, last year or a couple years ago in the, in the, in the, in the, uh, in the, um, in the championship game, he got ejected for targeting uh, over, over a questionable call. And it, it's, you're just ruining the game. You're ruining, you're not letting the players play. Um, you know, you're not letting the best players on the field uh, be on the field. Uh, and it's just, it's just unfortunate. And, the solution, you know, it should be a penalty. You know what? If you don't want, if you don't like helmet to helmet, fine. Call it, call it a penalty. Don't eject it for the rest of the game. Or if you if you do want to eject somebody or suspend somebody, spend it for the half. Maybe if it happens midway through the first quarter, suspend it for the rest of the first half and then let them play in the second. Or if it happened, you know, regardless of it could be a, a half foul. If it happens at any point during the half, they're suspended for the rest of the half. They're good to play the next, the next, the, the second half. Or if it's if it happened in the second half. Uh, you know, they're suspended for uh, the, re- and then the next game, they're good, you know, or something like that. It, it's just to, to suspend, to, to um, eject them for the rest of the game. It, it's just ridiculous. You're, you're taking so much away from the game um, and, it, and you're slowing it down and you can have the conversation about a lot of sports. Uh, you know, we, we, we have the conversation about baseball and, you know, how they don't get, they, they aren't, they're unable to get any calls under replay, right. And this is the same thing. You're literally going to replay for this and it can't be this hard. Uh, and you can easily say, okay, that was not a malicious act. That was definitely just trying to tackle the, the, uh, the running back or whoever's, whoever's uh, the, you know, the, the player with the ball. Um, and like we mentioned earlier, you know, like Andrew mentioned, when you slide, when a quarterback slides and he gets elbowed in the face and his helmet pops off and flags go flying, you know, that's different. You know, that's a different, that's a different rule. And you can have a different rule for that specific reason. If you're giving yourself up, if you're going to the ground, you should, you know, you can teach players not to, not to act that, not to, you know, 
dive to, for their heads or try to tackle them. It's college football. You don't, you can't even run. Once you've touched the, the ground, you, you're, you're, it's a dead ball. You're, you're, you're unable to pop back up and run regardless if you're touched or not. So I understand that. Uh, but you can separate the rules, have two separate rules, have two separate uh, penalties. One is for malicious intent, get them out of the game, inject them, whatever you want to do, 15 yard penalty, whatever the case may be, and then have like a, 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 a roughing call or uh, maybe like a targeting one. And I know before a couple of years ago, we had targeting one and targeting two. Uh, targeting one was 15 yard penalty, but they don't get ejected. Targeting two, they get ejected. Now it's just one targeting call. They, they, they merged the two, they made the, they made the worst one out of the two, uh, the, the the universal rule, and you don't even have targeting one anymore. I would like to see that come back maybe. Uh, like, okay, yeah, it was helmet-to-helmet contact. Uh, you shouldn't That shouldn't have happened. 15-yard penalty, let the kids stay in the game and move on from that. Um, but, you know, it, 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 just, it just has to stop. And the conversation needs to be had. And like Andrew said, they need to be had as soon as possible. I don't expect you know, the NCAA to make a, a radical change midway through the season or, or one week into the season. Uh, but it definitely has to be a conversation about it because you don't want the, you know, you just had an amazing weekend of college football. And you don't, like Andrew said, you don't want to wake up tomorrow, turn on the TV. And what the, the, they're not talking about Clemson, Georgia. They're not talking about Penn State, Wisconsin. They're not talking about Oklahoma. They're not talking about North Carolina. We're talking about targeting calls. Uh, and like I said, when you when the main discussion of your sport is an officiating call or a, a, a something that has to do with officiating, then you're doing something wrong um, as a sport. And, and, and that needs to change. It needs to change as soon as possible. And I'm going to stop talking because then I'll go on forever. Adam, I want to get to you before we uh, we wrap this episode up. We went a little long. So if you're still listening, I appreciate it. Um, but Adam, what's your what's your take on all of this stuff? Yeah, I agree with what Andrew and Brian said that the whole targeting, how they handle it, it just seems lazy. Um, they're trying to make the game safer. So I understand, but it seems like they just threw the rule out there and they're going to take it out of the referee's hands. So I, I kind of like what Brian said, they should have kind of like what the NBA does with a flagrant one flagrant two situation. I can see how that might get, a bit you know confusing week to week um i think the nfl had that same problem with face mask a lot they used to so they got rid of the whole face mask um rule where it used to be a five-yard penalty or a 15-yard penalty or something like that but i saw two targeting penalties um in the penn state game and the one in the miami game and i thought both players shouldn't have been ejected if you want to call them 15-yard penalties that's fine um, I understand, like I said, they're trying to make the game safer, but I feel like they're just doing it. They're hurting the defense. Um, you see, we're roughing the passer as well. You can't tackle the QB below the legs. If you even touch them, it's roughing the passer. You have to come to a complete stop and things like that. It's just like Andrew said, if, if you, if you want to play defense in the next level, you have to jump through all these hoops and it's just, it's not fair. So I don't see it getting any better because it's working right now. And they don't, like I said, there's, they're going to be lazy. I hope it does, but I guess we just have to wait and see and just hope that it doesn't really affect a big game like it did versus in Clemson in the national championship game. Yeah. You, you brought up a really good, really good point about, um, 
you know, the roughing the passer, it, it kind of feels like deja vu, how we talked about, I think it was 2017 or 18, you know, with the NFL and the roughing the passer and how you're supposed to bring down the quarterback where you can hit him. You know, Clay Matthews had all those, uh, Andrew, I know you remember all those dumb roughing the passer stuff. I mean, this, it's kind of bringing back those memories for me. Um, and I definitely hope that it, it changes soon. But uh, yeah, it's definitely just a, a really murky, it's a murky situation for, for college football. Like targeting has always been, you know, I, like you said, we get it. It's trying to save players from getting, you know, serious head injuries and trying to, you know, keep them in the game and all that stuff. Like I totally get that. But, you know, at the same time, I, I think there needs to be something done and something done very quickly because, you know, it's just stalling the game at this point. Like the big thing is you want to get money. You want people to tune in, but like when you're stalling it with countless, just countless reviews, I mean, it's, it's turning people off. I mean, I don't know. I, it's kind of the same thing with baseball and basketball. Like it's just review after review. And like, you know, what's the point of watching this if the rest are just going to control how everything goes. So um, Andrew, it looked like you wanted to say one more thing. Uh, we don't really have to go too much into it at all, but like, I just want to make a quick note. I forgot which game it was, but there was one game where they called a roughing the passer call. And when I looked at it, the reason why they called it roughing the passer was not because of the hit itself, but it was because of driving into the ground. Uh, that's just another thing where it's just like, same thing. It's just how we're taught. I mean, you're just taught to follow through. Um, I just don't understand that aspect whatsoever either. I mean, like you said, we saw that in the NFL with back-to-back on the Clay Matthews. I remember that because if they did not call that against Kirk Cousins, uh, the Packers would have won that game. Instead, it went into overtime, but that's a different story. Um, I just don't under even the – f- the fact that we've got rules here that are just unclear and these all just seem to be resolved. And the sad part is I feel like we've just been having these conversations for years now and nothing's changed. So before we go, um, I had one last thing on the agenda that we wanted to talk about, and it's the top 25 that's going to come out tomorrow morning. Um, Really quickly, I just want to go to each person and tell me who your biggest riser is, who rises the most in the rankings, and who the biggest loser is. Um, Adam, I want to start with you. Uh, My biggest loser is LSU. Um, I don't think they should even be in the top 25 after what I saw last weekend my biggest riser is virginia tech um i don't think i had them in my top 25 but i will this week so i think those two schools one was really underwhelming uh, and north carolina as well um i uh, uh, i can i can talk about them for a while i was not impressed with anything that they did Brian, how about you? Yeah, my biggest riser is, I don't know if it's just recency, uh, recency bias, but I'll say Ole Miss. You know, they're, they've looked incredible tonight. Uh, Matt Corral looks like a potential Heisman, Heisman candidate. Uh, like I said, you, you, you know, you throw them in there in, in, in Tuscaloosa or, uh, you know, I, I could see Alabama having a tough time with this Ole Miss team. So I definitely expect Ole Miss to be ranked. Um, I don't know how far up they'll go. Uh, I don't think enough teams lost for them to make a significant uh, up uh, up a move up into the top 25, maybe. I mean, obviously, we saw what Washington did, um, uh, North Carolina, uh, what North Carolina did. So we'll see what happens with them. But I'm very impressed with Ole Miss. They'll definitely go up. I expect them to be ranked by by, by the time the rankings come out tomorrow. Um, and so I think what will drop the most is probably North Carolina. I agree with that, or LSU. I think LSU is still riding the coattails of that 2019 season. 
uh, and they're kind of getting that bias uh, in the AP polls every year. Uh, they happened last year as well. I think last year they were ranked uh, in the top five. Obviously, they were after winning the national championship, but we kind of knew that it was not going to be that type of season for them. Uh, and then this year, it, it just kind of continues. We'll have to see what UCLA uh, UCLA is. And that's another team, UCLA. I could see UCLA going up significantly in the rankings. So there's a lot of moving pieces there, and I think that you will see a lot of surprises, and I'll see a lot of teams that – uh, probably shouldn't be there and a lot of teams that probably should be there and not be there. Uh, so we'll definitely see what happens, but um, I like to see LSU probably jump out of the top 25 uh, North Carolina. I think they'll stick around the top 25, but maybe be in the low teens, maybe early twenties, uh, maybe 17 to 22 or 23. Maybe we'll see what happens there. Um, and um, I'm, I'm interested to see where, where Clemson drops. I don't expect them to drop very far. Uh, maybe they'll still be top 10. Uh, but you know, we saw a lot of other top 10, top 11, top 12 teams win. So we'll kind of have to see what happens there. Uh, but, but that's pretty much where, where, what my take is on that. Yeah. A lot of moving pieces for sure. Andrew, who are your biggest risers and biggest fallers? Uh, I'm going to go ahead and say Iowa. I think Iowa's going to skyrocket. I think they'll probably go from 18 to, um, they're going to jump LSU. They're obviously going to jump Indiana. Uh, I would like to know how how far Miami's gonna fall. I'm expecting Wisconsin to fall below Iowa. I think I think Iowa I would not be surprised if they went top 13 at worst. Um, just right off the bat, I think they can even maybe see like an 11 or 12 spot, especially considering North Carolina. Uh, North Carolina for me, they're gonna be like 21st at best in my no yeah 21st at best in my rankings off my gut reaction. And it's not just the fact that like, Oh, they just lost. It was just the fact that the offense are completely lost. They did lose their top three receivers. They lost the running back one. Um, so at this point, I think right now, North Carolina, I think they're just a big unknown as the season goes on until they can start pulling in wins. Uh, North Carolina, I'm not having a huge faith in uh, Washington. Uh, there's no reason to even say it. They're out. I'm not even going to say why um, LSU. I don't even think they're going to be in, to be honest with you. I don't see them as a top 25 team. That defense is absolutely terrible. They're the worst defense in the SEC West. No, they were the worst defense in the SEC last year. Uh, I don't know how you can have the worst defense in in your own conference and still be top 25, regardless of how good that offense is. Uh, Ole Miss, I think they're going to be in there. I mean, we'll see where I put them exactly. But the defense, you know what the thing with Ole Miss is? Could you just play at least average defense? If they played at least average defense – I think they have a shot to beat out Texas A&M for second in the SEC West. I mean, I really think Ole Miss is that good. And they, their defense did look good today. I, you know, We'll just see how that translates in terms of how it goes into conference play. Uh, Iowa State, we'll see what the committee does. We'll see what the AP does with them. Does only a six-point win over Northern Iowa, does that warrant a drop out of the top ten? I do remember in 2012, Wisconsin did beat uh, Northern Iowa by only like six points, if I recall correctly. And they did drop about three spots after that. So we'll just see how they do treat Iowa state. Maybe it's just a fluke game. We'll see, but I am expecting Iowa state to drop at least out of the top 10. Yeah. That's really interesting. You talk about some of those teams that were a little underwhelming, like how far is the, you know, AP going to move them Oklahoma. Are they going to move them down Ohio state, you know, kind of struggled early, still won by a couple of scores, but you know, do, does Georgia move above um, Ohio State or Oklahoma? I could see Georgia even being a number two team in the country after that win. Um, and then Clemson, how far do they fall? I think, you know, given the bias that, you know, the committee and the AP usually has, I feel like Clemson won't fall far given how good Georgia is and 
you know, the talent that Clemson has, I feel like they'll probably be seven or eight, maybe. Um, and then Washington, yeah, they shouldn't even get a vote. Um, LSU should be out. Uh, I think Indiana is going to fall out. Miami will probably stick maybe 23 to 25 range. Um, that's kind of a, a steep fall, maybe top, you know, 2021 area. But uh, I think the biggest riser for me is UCLA. I could see them being above 20. I maybe even top 15. I could see them in like the 17, 18 range. Cause like Brian said, there were a lot of teams in that, you know, 11 to 20 range that lost. Um, and then the top 10 saw some movement too. I feel like Penn state could move up a bit. They were 19. I could see them maybe being top 12, 13 area. Um, and then North Carolina, I think is probably my biggest follower. I feel like um, they could be in that 22 ish range, like Andrew was saying. Um, but we've reached the end of the episode and it's been a, a pretty long one. So thank you so much for listening and tuning in. And if you're on YouTube watching it as well, um, tune in next week. We're going to be talking about, you know, or tune in on Wednesday, actually. We'll have another episode for you. It looks like Eric Dunn is going to be on there as our guest picker. Um, so it's going to be a fun one. We'll be talking about week two, uh, some big matchups, Oregon, Ohio State, most notably there. So definitely stay tuned for that and more content on the transferportal.com, um, you know, the transferportalcfp.com and on Twitter at T-Portal CFB. A lot of content all the time. So thank you so much for tuning in and we'll see you in the next episode.